As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Today we talked with Chris McMurdy, the founder of Dark Music. What'd you guys think? This was really cool. I think this was the first music-focused uh, startup that we've had on. And it was really interesting to hear how they're tackling a problem that he learned about from working at a classical music uh, label, uh, which I had no idea that metadata in classical music and discovery was a problem on iTunes and Amazon. So that was fascinating to hear about. What did you think? Yeah, and he was actually one of the first companies in the first round of the uh, music accelerator in Nashville. And it was really interesting to hear what that brought to the table for them and how it's helped them scale. So let's get into it. 
Rocketship is proudly supported by Bench is an online bookkeeping service that provides you with tax-ready financial statements from professional bookkeepers. Go to bench.co forward slash rocketship to get 20% off 20% off your first six months today. Today. <laughs> Wistia is a video hosting platform built specifically for business. If you're using video as a part of your marketing strategy, you need to be able to measure its impact. Wistia is helping over 175,000 businesses do just that with premium video hosting, lead generation tools, and in-depth video analytics. For more about Wistia, visit wistia.com forward slash rocketship. Okay, cool. So give me kind of the background of what you're building uh, with Dart Music. Okay, excellent. So Dart Music is the first automated distribution platform built specifically for classical music. Uh, another way uh, to say it is new classical music cannot be sold in iTunes until now. You know, uh, it's a pretty bold statement, but, but, but true, you know. Um, uh, you know, you think, well, I know there's classical music in iTunes. How does it get there, right? Um, and uh, there are uh, specialized distributors uh, for classical music. Um, who utilize teams of musicologists. I used to work for one of them, Naxos of America. And uh, at Naxos, we uh, had to use 30 musicologists who would manually uh, input the metadata associated with classical music. And uh, because of that, uh, the overhead, as you can imagine, was very high and continues to be very high for them. Um, uh, so that's really a barrier to entry unless you can afford to pay their fee uh, as a creator. Uh, and their fee is uh, generally as much as 50% of an artist's royalties, which is a lot. That's the you know, musicologist uh, fee? Oh, sorry. That's the fee that um, a uh, classical distributor is going to charge okay. uh, to to get music in into iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, etc. And you're already losing 30% from iTunes. That's right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so why do you need all of these musicologists to tag why can't artists do it themselves? Yeah, great question. So if you look at you know just we'll just stick with the most three common tags of uh, metadata for uh, for music, album, artist and song title. You know, we're here in Nashville, so obviously Taylor Swift is quite popular as she is everywhere. But um, uh, so album artist song title um, would be Taylor Swift 1989, Shake It Off, right? That covers all three of those. Uh, for classical music, um, one of my favorite pieces is Beethoven's Third Symphony. So if you look at Ludwig von Beethoven, Symphony Number no. 3 in E flat major, Opus Number no. 55, the Eroica, Movement Number no. 1, Allegro con Brio as conducted by Leonard Bernstein, as performed by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. All right, so who's the album artist and song title again? You know? Okay, <laughs> uh, okay. And, 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 and in that example, you know, uh, there are three languages referenced. You've got English, German, and Italian. Uh, English, for Shake It Off, is going to follow uh, title casing, capital S, capital I, capital O. Uh, but uh, what is the name of the song, if you will, for that first movement of, of Beethoven? Is it the full name? Is it, uh, is it Allegro con Brio? And is, is movement number one included in that? And if so, how? Um, but Allegro con Brio is Italian. It, it's not going to use title casing, right? It's going to use sentence casing. And so all of that is, is very important 
in how the DSPs, the digital service providers, which iTunes is a DSP, Spotify is a DSP, all of those um, uh, nuances uh, affect not just how they are tagged, but how an how a fan might find them in those services. You know, so it affects discoverability, it, it affects structure, it affects organization. Um, when I was working at Noxos. Uh, a Grammy-winning composer, Pulitzer, uh, a Grammy-winning composer named Michael Dougherty. Uh, you know, he had just won a Grammy, and uh, we had distributed his music, but he couldn't find it. And he, you know, he would call and be like, "Hey, why, why is my music not in iTunes?" I'm like, "It is. It's right here." And I send him the link. But when he would search for it, or you know, his fans would search for it, they could not find it. Wow. Uh, you had to have the direct link uh, with that, and so. Uh, that is that complexity of metadata uh, that our platform covers. Um, and so, how uh, are you solving that? Like, what's the? Is there a new methodology that you're taking to to apply that? Or, yeah, you know, there uh, there are basically three um, pieces of technology at a very high level that uh, our uh, platform focuses on, and our algorithms are created. Uh, to cover, um, and that is a, a known good database, which we affectionately call the database. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like that. A, uh, and then uh, it, we also utilize conditional logic so that we can determine, hey, what exactly is it you are wanting to to do? And, and we will ask you questions based upon that, right? Uh, very much like TurboTax. And then, uh, of course, uh, machine learning uh, is playing uh, a big part in this as well. Um, because how do you uh, supplement, you know, the the brain of thirty musicologists? Uh, and by the way, those thirty musicologists generally only get it about seventy two percent correct most wow. of the time uh, in terms of meeting the standards of those stores. And of course, um, if we can tell uh, a machine what it is we're trying to do, and we have a standard that we are meeting. Uh, then you can create uh, artificial intelligence off of that. And so that that is what our platform is doing. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. Interesting. So you're, you're basically allowing independent um, classical artists to actually be discovered on iTunes. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Very cool. Uh, so, well, I, I'm, I'm wondering how big is the classical market? Um, you know, I know independent music is is growing in the number of artists that are able to release. Um, has it been the same for classical? Uh, it has been. Uh, well, it it is now. I should say um, uh, in iTunes and Spotify, uh, the independent classical market has been growing immensely uh, in SoundCloud and in Bandcamp mm. because those are the only outlets that they've been able to enter into you know it's very difficult to monetize it's very uh at the very least you most of your fan base um when they want to hear new music as awesome as soundcloud and bandcamp are that's not generally the uh method of of listening to music that you were just listening to 30 seconds ago you know you're you're quitting Google Play or iTunes and going into a different platform, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just another barrier of entry. So we started uh, uh, combing SoundCloud and Bandcamp and 
so far in the U.S. and U.K., we are um, just over 144,000 independent creators of classical music that are having this problem. Wow. So now, is are they playing like, uh, you know, Beethoven's Third Symphony, or are they writing originals? Uh, it's both, actually. Um, uh, and specifically, you know, since SoundCloud uh, isn't, isn't monetized right now, they can record um, Beethoven uh, uh, or even something that's not in the public domain or that is in the public domain without repercussions, you know. Um, but uh, that's another thing that our platform helps with is is the mechanical licenses associated uh, with uh, recording something that is that a third party uh, rights holder has access to, and and we actually um, uh, another great music tech startup uh, helps us with that uh, out of San Fran. It, if you guys don't know about them, you should reach out. They're really awesome. Uh, louder fm l o u d r fm. Cool. So, how did these classical artists find you? Because um, I assume that. Probably a lot of them aren't online most of the day or maybe aren't the most tech savvy. Uh, so how are you getting in front of them to know to get them to know what you guys are doing? Yeah, great. Uh, you guys have awesome questions. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we have uh, as we've been building the platform over the last uh, nine months, um, we've done zero marketing. And so they've been finding us just word of mouth and. Um, you know, through social media and whatnot. So now um, we are uh, trying to get the word out there. And, and now that it's built, and uh, our job is to let the world know about it, right? You know. So, but we've had enough of a, a trickle or a, um, a a select number of artists coming through that uh, we can learn uh, what's working, what's not working. Um, so it's every to answer your question. Uh, we we are finding them by engaging them through uh, SoundCloud, uh, as well as um, going and talking uh, to ensembles, um, and they are finding us. Uh, thankfully, through uh, great press like uh, Billboard magazine. Uh, there's an article coming out in Entrepreneur uh, magazine. Um, uh, this awesome interview you guys are gracious enough to give us. Um, so the the press is is starting to pick up, um, but uh, we have a long way to go to build our user base, and and so that is uh, where we are now. You know, is is getting the word out. So how has classical music evolved um, to to where it is today? Like, if I was going to go on SoundCloud, would I hear something different than you know potentially going to uh, the theater um, twenty years ago? Oh gosh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we were just at a. Uh, we went to the Skirmahorn, which is where the Nashville Symphony uh, uh, plays here in Nashville, and it's a really nice hall. Uh, but we went to hear five new composers on Wednesday uh, perform their music, and the audience is you know jeans and t-shirt. And uh, then we leave that to go to a house show. Of uh, uh, with the Nashville Chamber Music Series, and uh, then we could have gone to hear a premiere of Turandot, uh, which is an opera, you know, and 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 so it's pretty incredible that that you can, I guess, kind of club hop, <laughs> but yeah. 
classical music, you know? Um, but all that to say, like the, the, that is the landscape is, um, like, I don't know if you guys are fans of, uh, of Radiohead or, um, Arcade Fire or sure. the Mac or Wilco, but, uh, all of those bands, uh, have members that are classical musicians or write pure classical music and you know there's nothing in the meta tags of the music they're releasing that uh, connects them with uh, as also an artist of radiohead you know okay uh, and that's part of, of that problem but when you listen to johnny greenwood's music you know it doesn't sound like radiohead it sounds like uh, a mix between uh you know messy and sometimes uh electronic dance music you know it's uh, so like I've always felt like, or, uh, it's not really a feeling. It's a, a truth that, um, innovation in music, uh, has always followed, you know, technological innovations. If you're, if you're, if you're Beethoven, you know, he was writing music, uh, because of this great new thing that just came out called the piano forte and, uh, and the particular piano had cross strings, um, and so it was able to have a resonance unlike anything he'd heard before. So he was able to duplicate that which he did with an orchestra on, you know, in a single sitting on the piano. It's him following the technological advancements of his day. Well, the, the tech advancements of today is, of course, you know, MIDI software instruments, um, uh, loop pedals, delay. So you've got violinists like Tracy Silverman, uh, who is also a Nashvilleian, um, but premiering uh, violin concertos for John Adams and uh, Nico Muley. Uh, these are up, up and coming composers. John Adams is probably one of the most famous composers of, of our day, and Nico Muley is a younger composer, but is you know just doing amazing things. Um, but the the what Tracy is doing and what these composers are doing are utilizing you know these. Uh, electronic technologies and that um that you know just sound you know completely different than beethoven uh and a lot closer to radiohead but not quite radiohead you know and so you go to these uh concerts and there are 500 kids uh sitting around eating pizza drinking <laughs> wine uh just you know literally rocking out to art music you know wow um, what do you see in terms of adoption of classical music? Is that really growing right now, uh, especially, like you said, with the younger people in jeans and T-shirts? Uh, and how do you kind of see that reflected? Yeah, it, it is uh, immensely growing. Um, uh, there are these underground scenes that are kind of popping up all over the uh, different uh, metropolitan areas, um, of which Nashville is one of the smaller, you know, um, uh, but even here in Nashville, like we've got six avant-garde chamber music ensembles that, that, you know, will play anything from a house show to a bar. Uh, and then in London, you've got a, uh, incredible indie classical scene. You've got James Rhodes, who's playing Rachmaninoff, but, you know, he's, he's doing it, uh, in a bar, uh, in explaining in his jeans, t-shirt and Converse, you know, exactly what's happening in the music. And, and I think a lot like our, um, uh, tribe today, you know, we, we appreciate things like, uh, you know, 
great coffee and we're willing to pay a little extra for that. And, you know, we, uh, appreciate, um, craft beer, you know, um, uh, that same, uh, generation is really appreciates uh, well thought out composed music. Um, and you also see it in other genres, you know, like EDM, uh, is, uh, can be very uh, complex in terms of form and structure. And you even have like Aphex Twin who refers to himself as IDM, intelligent dance music, you know? And so I think the, I think we're going to see the classical, the genre classical. When you say classical, uh, there's, there's a big uh, move, a very passionate move for you to not think about, you know, uh, old dead white guys in wigs. Mm. So, well, so the music industry has been kind of notorious um, as of late, uh, where you know companies have been downsizing and going out of business. Um, I, I'm curious to hear about your revenue model and how are you, how are you guys making making this work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there, are, like most things, two sides to to that coin, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so one side is to the straight revenue model of, uh, let's make sure that this genre that has been underserved has the same opportunity as other genres. Well, the other genres have been paying a flat rate, uh, to, to get their music into these stores. So we can follow that model and offer it to classical music for the first time. So that's part of it, you know, is, is $40 per album per year. Uh, and that's a subscription fee. So 12 months later, if you want to keep your music in 196 stores worldwide, uh, you pay another $40. Okay. And, uh, and every, generally everyone feels it's well worth it because if, you know, A, it's at worst, it's a marketing expense, you know, $40 to be available in uh, places that give you legitimacy and authority, you know, in, in these stores. And then, uh, there's also, if you get four of your friends to buy it, you break even, you know? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's not a huge barrier, uh, of entry there to, to really, uh, copy that model. You know what I mean? Um, but the, the flip side of that revenue question is, um, uh, one of the assumptions or one of the, our questions as we went into it is, all right, no one's ever done this because it's really hard. If we focus on the hardest problem, uh, is it going to make all of these other, is it going to solve all, all of these other problems uh, in its wake? You know, if you solve the hardest pro- math problem, uh, do the other math problems become easier? And it's been incredible to find that the answer is yes. You know, like the reason that um, you're talking about how there's been, uh, you know, this kind of implosion of the music industry um, is because of a lack of transparency, you know, and because of, uh, uh, knowing, um, who's getting paid what and, uh, the inability to make edits to a digital product once it's live, uh, without taking it down and putting it back up. Well, all of that is, is metadata that's driven by metadata. Mm-hmm. And so since we, uh, focus on complex, complicated metadata, uh, we're finding that, hey, you can get paid faster and your music goes live faster. And hey, guess what? It's very clear where every cent goes, <laughs> you know? Right. So, uh, there's a, um, uh, it's, it's been in really exciting to see the value propositions just kind of pop up for 
uh, all of these different facets of the music industry. So you guys went through um, a new music accelerator there in in Nashville. Um, I'd love to hear a bit about your experience um, going through an accelerator that's focused on music in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was incredibly... Uh, it, well, first off, it was the single <laughs> uh, hardest thing I've ever done uh, that we've ever done. Um, it, uh, it was very, very intense, but very much worth it. It was, it was very, very good. Um, but we... A, didn't know if we would get in. You know, here we are in Country Music USA saying, hey, we're classical. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the lead sponsor uh, was the CMA, which is Country Music Association. Okay. And and I used to joke and say, well, maybe they'll think it's Classical Music Association, you know. (laughs) Uh, But all that to say, we were fortunate enough to get in. And Project Music was incredible, absolutely phenomenal. Um, we uh, we hope to get three things. We we hope to actually learn what it is to have a business. <laughs> you know, can we make money at this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, we hope to have uh, access to folks within the industry uh, to be able to get in front of them and tell them what we're doing, but also to find out what problems they're having and seeing if there's a, a relationship there and if or if there's a connection, you know. Uh, and and that's where we started to learn about these different value propositions of, uh, you know, that even major labels are having as a result of poor metadata. Uh, and then we also had hope to had the opportunity to raise capital and, uh, man, uh, project music delivered on all three in spades. It, it was wonderful. Um, uh, not only did they, you know, kind of call our baby ugly and, and, and beat the snot out of it, uh, and get it to a place to where we had a, a viable business model. Um, but we did have the opportunity to, um, uh, you know, to really get in front of everyone in the music industry, not just in Nashville, but New York and LA as well. And, uh, the encouragement we received and, uh, from the industry, um, has been, you know, the partnerships that have resulted has been incredible. Uh, and then, uh, through the process, we raised almost one and a half million dollars of seed funding. So, so yeah, so, um, uh, if it wasn't for, because of Project Music, we have a shot at this, you know, and so, uh, and uh, I'm very proud of uh, how we've grown over the last year, and uh, you know, we, we have a full, fully staffed team, and uh, we're working hard every day to get it done. That is that is awesome. That's really cool to hear, um, and I'm I'm so glad that you know somebody is putting kind of the accelerator model behind technology and music. So yeah, yeah, it's really too. cool. Um, so where can we keep up with you online? Uh, dartmusic.com, D-A-R-T-M-U-S-I-C.com. Uh, Twitter is at HelloDart. <laughs> so you have a, a promotional offer too, right? Yes, uh, we do. Um, in celebration of our launch, if you sign up to use the platform before October 31st, not only do you get to keep 100% of your royalties, but we will distribute your album for free for the first year. That is So you waive the $40 per album fee. That's exactly right. Yeah, That's cool. All right. Very cool. And we always have an outro song. Um, I want to let you pick it today. What should we go out on? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, since we spoke so much about uh, Beethoven, let's do uh, Beethoven's third. Okay. All right. Cool. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And if you'd like a transcription of this show, we have now partnered with Jot Engine, who does some fantastic transcriptions. So you can go to rocketship.fm and check out this episode's show page, and there'll be a link for the transcription. And if you'd like to get a transcription yourself, go to jotengine.com and sign up.
Thank you.